Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, February 1st, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about our favorite movies from the 2022 Sundance Film Festival. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film editors Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Chris Evangelista. Oh, hello. And also, we're joined for the first time by staff writer Shania Russell. Hi. Okay, so first of all, congratulations to Chris, because this is the first time we've been able to introduce you as an editor. So that's awesome. Uh, you're still, Yeah, <laughs> you're yeah. still in your, your uh, <laughs> chief film critic role, but also sort of overseeing a lot of the, um, the review covers that we're going to have on the site. And then uh, Shania, welcome to the show for the first time, um, because this is your first time. Why don't you just sort of tell people a little bit about you or uh, the types of movies that you like? Um, I think previously... Uh, Peter has has insisted that people talk about the uh, favorite movies of all time articles that uh, that the writers always write on Slash Film. So maybe if you, if you just want to mention a couple of those to sort of give the listeners a sense of uh, what types of stuff you're into. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been a news writer at Slash Film for a couple months now. Um, I feel like if I have beats, it's become like musicals and rom-coms and teen dramas and fantasy which is pretty accurate to my taste. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, so as part of the initiation, I had to do the favorite movies of all time. And 
I think some of the things I had on there were Little Woman and Spirited Away and Into the Spider-Verse and Scream. So kind of across the genre spectrum and definitely like fantasy leaning and coming of age stuff. Which version of Little Women do you prefer? The Greta Gerwig version. Okay. Most yeah. recent. Awesome. Yeah, it's a great one. Okay. So yeah, I'll link to your um, your favorite movies of all time uh, uh, article in the show notes so people can explore the rest of that list. Um, but guys, yeah, uh, we, we finished covering the 2022 Sundance Film Festival. We've been uh, sort of knee deep in that for what it was ran for 10 days or something like that. Uh, it's all virtual again this year. Um, we covered a ton of stuff. I mean, the four of us collectively, uh, I have linked to all of the reviews that we wrote, uh, in the show notes here. And it took me a long time to accumulate and, and sort of compile all of those links. So we, I think we killed it, but, um, for the purposes of brevity on today's episode, we just, each of us picked three movies that we wanted to highlight here. And so I think we're just going to do like a round the horn style um, where each of us will just, uh, yeah, talk about the the relevant info and sort of put these movies on your radar early because that's sort of the purpose of Sundance to sort of start the the year off right uh, and and hopefully set the tone for the what the year is going to look like in terms of movies. So, um, Shania, let's start with you. Uh, what is the first movie that you wanted to put on people's radar here? Yeah, uh, my first movie is Fresh. Um, it's a searchlight movie that's coming to Hulu on March fourth. It's a directorial debut from Mimi Cave, written by Lauren Kahn. Um, and it stars Daisy Edgar-Jones and Sebastian Stan uh, from Normal People. And from the MCU, Sebastian Stan, but I feel like his more relevant roles to cite here are in I, Tanya and in Pam and Tommy, which is coming, I think, later this week. Um, and this is kind of hard to talk about because I feel like the best version of this experience is going in blind and letting it surprise you. And I'm really on the edge of my seat to see what kind of trailer they cut for this. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, Fresh follows a 20-something Noah, um, played by Daisy Edgar-Jones, who's living the really frustrating modern dating life. And she's going on awful dates with terrible men and wondering where everything went wrong. And then she meets Steve, uh, Sebastian Stan's character, in a grocery store. They have this really sweet meat cute in the produce section. He gives her grapes. Everything's wonderful. They get along great. He's handsome. He's a doctor. He laughs at her jokes. And at the end of the night, he doesn't try to sleep with her. So it's like this like perfect fantasy of a guy. And then the movie takes a really dark turn when she goes away with him for a weekend. And um, then it becomes this like really wicked, really like winking, brutal commentary about like dating and gender dynamics. Um, And it's just really, really fun. And it's I my definitely my favorite thing was that it's the movie feels like it's winking at you the whole time. There's a lot of setup before you know what's really going on that will make sense later where it's sort of like playing on rom-coms and it's playing on horror movies and it's playing with all those tropes. Um, and it's really self-aware and really like self-assured and really funny. And at the same time, like gets very like brutal and dark um, and it's really fun to see Daisy Edgar Jones do something outside of normal people. And Sebastian Stan gets to be very like wicked and interesting, almost to the point of being cartoonish, but the movie is also aware of that. So it has fun with it. 
Yeah, that's great. I'm, I can't wait for people to see this movie. And I'm also like you very, very curious to see how much Searchlight decides to give away uh, with their, their marketing. But um, I imagine the trailer for this is going to be coming soon because the movie itself, as you mentioned, is going to be available for everybody to watch on Hulu like in just over a month. So um, people won't have very long to wait for this one. Uh, Chris, let's go to you. What's the first movie that you wanted to talk about here? Uh, it is something in the dirt, which is the new movie from Benson and Moorhead. Uh, they're a, they're a filmmaking duo. Uh, they primarily specialize in sort of like really low budget genre pictures. They made uh, resolution and a really great horror movie slash romance called spring. Uh, they also directed some episodes of the upcoming moon Knight show. So they're, they're, they're about to go mainstream, I guess, but I knew them when they were cool. But um, something in the dirt <laughs> is uh, uh, it's a very odd, almost unclassifiable movie. Um, it's about these two guys. They live in Los Angeles. They're neighbors. And one day they're in one of their apartments and something uh, inexplicable happens. And their initial thought is like, this must be ghosts. And they set out to start making uh, a documentary about about the ghosts with hope of selling it to Netflix. But uh, the more, you know, they, they dig into what's going on, the more, the less it seems like ghosts and the more it seems like just some sort of strange, far-reaching, never-ending conspiracy. And uh, this was just great. This is just a fascinating, uh, funny, unique a very un Hollywood movie, even though it's set in LA. Um, uh, and this is also another of those movies where, you know, the less, you know, the, the better it's going to be. But, uh, I, I just love this thing from, from beginning to end. It's, it's just funny and dark. And even though like it doesn't take place during the pandemic, it feels like a pandemic movie. Cause it's about, you know, two guys stuck in an apartment, just going slowly insane. And, it, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I really love this. Um, I love most of their movies. I did not really care for their most recent film, which was called synchronic. That felt a little um, messy, but this feels like a, like kind of like a return to form for them. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what they do with moon Knight, but I also hope they keep making, you know, the, these low budget, very independent uh, genre picks because that's that's really what they do the best. Awesome. So that is called Something in the Dirt. As far as I know, it doesn't have distribution yet. But Chris, do you think that there's a, a sort of natural home for this movie? Does it, the style of this film sort of fit in with like the the general brand of any place in particular that you can think of? I mean, it, it maybe this is like a basic answer, but I feel like this would be really good for Shudder just because Shudder, you know, specializes in, in horror and stuff. And even though this isn't like a straightforward horror film, Benson and Moorhead are are very well known in the horror community. And I feel like it's too weird and small for Netflix. And I feel like shutter could actually give it the push that it deserves. But uh, that's just, you know, that's just me taking a wild guess for all I know. It'll go to know none of those places, but I guess we'll see. <laughs> cool. Uh, all right, Brad, let's go to you. Which one do you want to talk about first? Uh, I'm going to start with a movie called Brian and Charles. Uh, this is a very British, uh, dry, quirky comedy directed by Jim Archer. Uh, and it's actually based on a short film of the same name from 2017. Um, it stars uh, David Earl as this reclusive uh, inventor who lives like um, in the middle of like rural Wales. And he invents these really oddball things that 
no one really needs, but he likes to make them anyway. Like he makes a, a belt that can hold eggs and like trawler nets for for boots that are completely unnecessary. But he's just <laughs> this very uh, charming, uh, you know, a kind of kind of guy. And he's uh, a little bit uh, antisocial uh, when he goes into town to get, um, you know, different supplies and stuff like that. He just kind of keeps to himself. And one day when he's uh, digging through some junk that he can use for his inventions, he finds uh, some washing machine parts and a mannequin head, and uh, he gets inspired to create his own robot. Uh, and it's a very makeshift, uh, janky kind of robot with this <laughs> very, um, somewhat uh, odd mannequin head and this big boxy body. And the, this is a robot that's like, seven feet tall and just very weird looking, uh, very lanky. And it suddenly um, comes to life in the middle of a thunderstorm, which creates this like kind of Frankenstein riff. But this robot is a very uh, polite speak and spell voiced kind of robot. Uh, and he very quickly starts learning words and uh, names himself Charles uh, Petrescu. Um, and he suddenly starts to evolve and it has uh, an iron giant et kind of flair to it as the robot learns and kind of wants to venture out and see more of the world but uh brian starts to um tries to keep him in the house and it's just this really uh delightful funny story about uh friendship and uh, a little bit of coming of age too and it's uh just very funny has a lot of heart to it and uh it kind of plays like uh like taika waititi's version of Frankenstein with like a live action Wallace and Gromit feel to it. Hmm. Okay. So it's called Brian and Charles. And do you know uh, what the distribution deal is with that? I don't know if it has gotten distribution or, or anything like that yet. I was actually just trying to figure that out as we were talking and um, actually, you know, I was, and I was wrong. Focus features has picked it up. So you'll be able to see that at, at some point. Okay, cool. Uh, so the first one that I want to mention is actually not a movie. It's a TV series. It's a four-episode docu-series called We Need to Talk About Cosby. And this is currently available on Showtime. So if you have the Showtime app, you can watch all of all four episodes right now. I think one episode per week is being rolled out, like I guess, on the actual Showtime channel, if you want to watch it that way. But I think this is an experience that is probably best served with the binge model. Um, and so the, the entire experience is somewhere around like four hours or something, but I think it's worth it. So we need to talk about Cosby is about Bill Cosby. It's a, a docuseries directed by W. Kamau Bell, the comedian and TV personality. And it is uh, a really, really fascinating documentary. So the, the story of Bill Cosby is obviously incredibly complicated or has become incredibly complicated because he spent the first you know, several decades of his life building this um, this image to the public in the media of him as an educator and a, you know, he was like America's dad before Tom Hanks sort of uh, took on that mantle. Um, the Cosby show obviously was a, a giant, like phenomenal or, or sort of a cultural phenomenon. Um, but he had been involved in, you know, several uh, like major sort of uh, groundbreaking things before that, including the show I Spy. And his comedy career was, I mean, he was like, arguably the, the most well-known comedian in the country at, at various points throughout his career. Uh, and then, you know, n not too long ago, um, we heard all these allegations that he had drugged and raped and or sexually assaulted, you know, around 60 women. Uh, and that sort of uh, tinged his legacy, obviously, and, and sort of uh, changed the way that we talk about Bill Cosby. Um, but 
W. Kamal Bell does this really interesting thing in this documentary where he, he doesn't just focus on Cosby as a, a monster. Um, he goes back and, and really tracks the entire uh, sort of evolution of his career and points out all the good things that he did for, you know, the black community in America, but also just um, for, for everyone by sort of changing the perception of uh, how all Americans viewed black people on television and sort of puts that up against, you know, the, these, uh, these allegations and these revelations about what he was actually doing behind the scenes. And he just, I think, sifts through this really, really complicated subject matter in a very interesting way. Um, so Brad, I know you had a chance to see this one as well. Is there anything that I'm, I'm missing there that you think people should know about now before they dive in and check this out for themselves? Yeah, I think the the best thing that Bell does with this documentary is he provides just such rich context and detail so that you understand exactly where Cosby was at um, throughout each decade of his career and reconciles that with the things that we've heard that he's done from these dozens of accusations and really paints a thorough picture that allows you to come to your own conclusion. It It doesn't try to uh, make this outright claim about Cosby, but it's really all about just trying to figure out how you... Uh, address and deal with somebody who had such a prominent place in pop culture uh, for for the black population, for pop culture at large, and how you come to terms with the good that he did and also just these monstrous things that he's been accused of doing. Uh, and it's just, yeah, it's it's such an in-depth, um, provocative and thoughtful look at what, what has been a really difficult topic to address and just uh, I, I honestly wish that um, he had, you know, even more time to, to dig into it because I'm sure there's a lot more he didn't uh, get to cover and, and easily could have. But yeah, this is uh, this is an incredible documentary. Yeah, it's really riveting stuff. Um, I think I actually had a chance to speak with W. Kamau Bell about this, and and you know, we talked a lot about like the idea of separating art from the artist in there. So I'm going to link to that interview in the show notes as well if you want to uh, explore that. And I encourage you to do so. Okay, uh, Shania, let's go back around to you. What's another movie that you really liked from Sundance 2022? Yeah, uh, my next movie is Nanny. Um, it was Nikiata Jusu's directorial debut. It stars Anna Diop, and it's the story of Aisha, a Senegalese immigrant who becomes a nanny for this wealthy white Manhattan couple um, that's played by Michelle Monaghan and Morgan Spector. And she's trying to save up the money to bring her son from Senegal to join her in America. And the job should be the way to do it. Um, it should be really easy. It, it makes it should make her a lot of money. But um, Michelle Monaghan's character makes it very difficult by not paying her well and not treating her well. So it's um, partially the slow burn drama about the impossibility of um, actually achieving the American dream. And then it has this like added element of horror because there's this supernatural presence that's haunting Aisha. Um, and the movie weaves in a lot of West African folklore, uh, specifically the stories of the trickster Anansi and the water spirit Mami Wata. Um, and it, and I, I, I felt like I was like oddly delighted for a lot of this movie. Um, there's like <laughs> this cloud of dread that's hanging over because of the the spirit and also because of how difficult her like um, actual job is because of Michelle Monaghan's character. But then when Aisha is away from them, she's surrounded by a lot of potential for joy. Um, so she has this budding romance. Um, she forms a connection with um, this uh, older spiritually connected woman 
Um, we see her in um, hair parlors, braiding hair with her friends. We see her interacting with like other black immigrant nannies. And there's this feeling of community that's like, that feels like it's the thing trying to save her from um, the other forces in the movie. And the tension between those, I think, is what makes this uh, movie so like interesting and dramatic. Um, yeah, so... I really love that. And also Anna Diop was incredible in this. And I don't, I don't think I've seen her. I know she has a small part in Jordan Peele's Us. Um, and she's in the HBO show Titans that I haven't seen any of, but she's really amazing in this movie. That's awesome. So this is called Nanny. I don't think this one has distribution yet, uh, but hopefully fingers crossed. I mean, we're still in the period. I think, you know, as, as I've been working today, I've gotten three or four different emails saying that different Sundance things have been picked up. So hopefully there's still uh, hope for Nanny to be seen on, on, on a wider level uh, in the, the not too distant future. Um, Chris, let's go back to you. What's the next one you want to talk about? I just want to add Ben real quick that earlier it did break that uh, Jordan Peele's monkey Paul productions and universal picked up the rights to this. So, Oh, great. Okay. So there is or wait, that. was it this or was it her next movie? I the... think it's her next movie. Oh, I'm sorry. Well then ignore what okay. I just said. I'm an idiot. <laughs> This is what I get for glancing at things and not reading them closer. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, you go ahead, Chris. Um, yeah, so my, my next uh, is Emily the Criminal, which uh, stars Aubrey Plaza. And she plays um, this this person with uh, considerable student debt. And she also has a criminal record. So it's not easy for her to get uh, you know a better paying job to pay off that debt. And she's sort of stuck in this perpetual, miserable loop. And she learns about this thing called dummy shopping, which is um, basically uh, someone gives you stolen credit cards and you go out and you buy really expensive things like flat screen TVs or even a car. And then, uh, you know, you turn it back around, you flip those things for a profit. And, um, you know, she's sort of hesitant at first, but then she sort of finds out that she kind of has a knack for this or she thinks she does. So it's kind of like, you know, a breaking bad scenario where this normal person starts building a little criminal empire for themselves. And, uh, I really dug this. Um, I, I, I like Aubrey Plaza in general. Uh, this is, I, I think this is like the most dramatic thing she's ever done. You know, she did a film called black bear last year, which was also dramatic, but that still had really darkly comedic elements in it. And there's none of that in this. This is like pretty much just like a straightforward drama with her in it. And she's doing like a New Jersey accent, which was kind of weird at first. It took a little while to get used to, but um, yeah, I, I really dug this except for like the last third of the movie where it sort of turns into, it, it sort of stops being her story and becomes this more of the story of her and the person who brings her into this world. Uh, and I kind of wish it had just sort of stayed primarily focused on her but other than that i really enjoyed this ben i think you said you were gonna watch this did you get around to watching it i did watch it and i have i think the exact same read on the movie as you did like i i really liked aubrey plaza in it and i kind of wish that yeah like her her story um that sort of perpetual misery loop that you mentioned is so familiar to so many people uh and so relatable that it it sort of feels like there was more to mine from that than where this movie ultimately went, which is like spinning off in a very specific direction. And, and I, I appreciated that, but I just, yeah, I, I sort of walked away from it feeling like there was a little bit of a, a slight missed opportunity 
um, you know, not not digging in even deeper on the ramifications and sort of uh, consequences of of what this um, this new world would be like for this character. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely worth watching though, especially, I mean, you know, Aubrey Plaza came to my attention probably like a lot of other people through Parks and Rec. And I feel like she's, uh, fairly or not been sort of painted with this brush of like, oh yeah, she does the same thing in every, uh, movie or show that she's in. She sort of plays that Aubrey Plaza, uh, prototypical character. And this is not that at all. So I think, just for that reason alone, this movie is worth, is worth watching. It's called Emily the Criminal. Um, this one doesn't have distribution yet, as far as I know. But um, again, you know, we're still in early days uh, post Sundance. So hopefully that will change pretty soon. Um, Brad, let's go back to you. What's your next one? Uh, my next one is a movie called Emergency uh, that is directed by Kerry Williams, uh, written by Katie uh, Davila. And uh, this is another one that was also based on a short film that was expanded into a feature, which uh, can be a risky endeavor because it can be difficult to expand what works in a short film into uh, a proper feature-length movie. But um, even though this movie does feel like it uh, requires a little bit of padding to fill out that feature time, it is engaging uh, and compelling enough to sustain itself for the most part. Um, It's uh, most easily described as basically like super bad meets very bad things, but with the interesting twist that the main characters are uh, two black college students and best friends and their uh, Hispanic uh, roommate, or one of their Hispanic roommates. Um, And the reason that their race is important is because the plot focuses on them discovering um, a, uh, another uh, presumed white college student, a young girl passed out in the middle of their living room and they have no idea how she got there. And they're forced to try to figure out what the best course of action is because based on the color of their skin, they're not too keen on calling the cops when they have a passed out white girl in their living room and risk just getting shot just on the principle of the situation. Mm -hmm. So they have to figure out uh, the best way to deal with the situation without uh, putting themselves in harm's way, but also making sure that the girl is taken care of and isn't, you know, left somewhere to possibly um, have more harm inflicted upon her. And so uh, what results is um, uh, a caper that is thrilling and funny and suspenseful. And I think that what really makes this movie work is it uh, does a great job of balancing this high wire act between uh, drama and suspense and comedy. Uh, The dialogue is especially sharp. Um, It it brought to mind uh, some of the dialogue we've seen in Kevin Smith and Judd Apatow movies, but it comes with um, a much more pointed purpose because throughout the dialogue, even though there are great one-liners and and, and banter between these characters, it also comes with some pretty powerful social commentary that involves uh, racial tension and um, just class and the perceived, you know, um, the, the, the perceptions of society and just how, you know, uh, black teens, especially, and even uh, brown teens too, are perceived by the law and by, you know, white people in general. And there's a lot of really interesting social commentary uh, throughout that doesn't feel like it's shoehorned in or contrived. It all comes out very naturally as the the story unfolds. So it's uh, it's very funny, very tense, and uh, just, just a really good movie all around. Awesome. So that is called Emergency, and it looks like Amazon has picked that up. I don't think it has a release date yet. It, but, does, it um, does, actually. It's uh, set to come out uh, in early May. It'll be in theaters for a week, and then it'll be available on Amazon Prime. 
Oh, fantastic. Okay, cool. So that is emergency. Uh, the next one I wanted to mention is called Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, which uh, was directed by Sophie Hyde and written by Katie Brand. It stars Emma Thompson and this guy, an upcoming uh, Irish actor named Daryl McCormick, who I had never seen before, but he had been in uh, The Wheel of Time and Peaky Blinders before. Um, this is basically a two-hander. It's it's very much a COVID movie where it's like two people in a hotel room. Um, you can sort of tell that... It, it's a pretty uh, small scale movie, but I didn't think about that really at all when I was watching it because this is so incredibly immersive. The The script here is incredible. The, the premise of the movie is Emma Thompson plays this woman who is like in her 60s who has never had an orgasm before. She's been married to the same person her entire life. Um, she's only had sex with one man and then her husband died like a couple years before this movie begins and she... Um, instead of just like withering away, like all of her other friends of her, of her age, she decides that she wants to sort of grab life by the collar and experience some things that she's never experienced before. So she hires a handsome young sex worker named Leo Grand to, uh, to meet up with her in a hotel room. And that, that is the movie. Basically it's the, it sort of traces, uh, what happens when this flustered woman who is like completely, um, out of touch with her own sexuality comes in contact with this guy who, uh, you know, it's in, it's his entire way of life to um, make people feel pleasure and and sort of, um, you know, he's this very suave, slick character. And so that alone is sort of an interesting concept, but the movie, I think, does this really interesting thing where like as they meet up and, and have these long conversations, the characters like peel back each other's layers and expose vulnerabilities and and sort of unexpected wounds that that uh, may not have been uh, immediately apparent from their first meeting. So um, it's really phenomenal. I mean, Emma Thompson is like maybe a career best performance from her. Um, I would not be surprised if there's, you know, some sort of awards talk or something, uh, you know, uh, I don't, I sort of hate to, to do that, but for some people that might be like a reason to watch this movie. And as far as I'm concerned, the most people watching good luck to you, Leo grand, uh, the better. So, uh, whatever I need to say to get people to, to check this out, uh, I will do it. So, um, yeah, it, it's very, very good. It's this really like spellbinding, mesmerizing, really immersive, um, story that, like I said, the whole thing takes place in pretty much one hotel room, but it, you never really feel that because the camera, uh, moves so well and, and sort of, um, uh, is positioned and blocked, you know, everything's blocked so well that it doesn't feel like somebody just locked off a camera in the corner of the room and, and shot a stage play. It, it definitely has a, uh, a dynamism to the, the visual aspect of it that I really appreciated. So good luck to you, Leo Grand. I think it's been picked up by, uh, Searchlight, uh, Fox Searchlight, and it's going to be extreme uh, streaming exclusively on Hulu at some point this year. I don't don't think it has a release date yet, but um, I, I would imagine just a, another couple months. So, good luck to you, Leo Grand is the name of the film. Uh, Shania, let's go back to you for your third and final choice. Yeah, my final one is Cha Cha Real Smooth uh, from Cooper Rafe. Um, I feel like this is the like coda like crowd pleaser of the year. Um, it has, it stars, um, Cooper Rafe wrote, directed, produced, and stars in it, um, with Dakota Johnson, um, and Leslie Mann and, um, some other people. And this is his second feature after, um, Shithouse, uh, which picked up some awards at South by in 2020. Um, and that was about a homesick freshman adjusting to college life and sort of in a similar vein, Cha Cha Real Smooth is the story of, 
a recent college grad who's back home living with his mom and his stepdad and his younger brother. And he's working a terrible fast food job at a place called Meat Sticks and uh, making everything a lot worse. His college girlfriend is off in Barcelona, moving on to the next chapter of her life, and he feels really stuck. And he ends up going with his brother to some bar and bat mitzvahs um, where he is so naturally charming that he livens things up and ends up becoming like a party starter for people in the community. Um, And he also forms a connection with a young mom played by Dakota Johnson um, and her autistic daughter, Lola. And they end up forming this really tender, complicated, like kind of flirtatious and then emotionally deeper connection. So it's kind of a rom-com, kind of like a coming of age movie for people in their 20s. Um, and it's it checks a lot of boxes for me naturally. I knew I would love this before I saw it. And then once I was in it, I was like, I never want this to end. Um, it's just like very naturally charming. Um, and I think a lot like Shithouse, it, it's Cooper Rafe doing this thing where he's like letting all of his characters um, sort of develop like it's a love letter to 20 somethings transitioning to a new stage but it also has a lot of empathy for for the little brother character and for domino this this um, mother who's older for his own mother um and they're all sort of like they have room at all ages to come into themselves and to be their best and worst selves yeah this is great i love this movie um i had the the chance to review it i'm really glad that you uh, chose this film and and that it um it sort of rang so true with you shania as like a a big uh, self-professed rom-com fan do you feel like that this movie is kind of like the um i I don't know like the you know in the in the uh i guess in the 90s there was like what everybody uh, films like pretty woman and um, the Julia Roberts, uh, Reese Witherspoon, sort of Meg Ryan triumvirate sort of defined what romantic comedies were for a while. And then I feel like that genre sort of died off in the you know post-Catherine Heigl era. But in recent years, I feel like rom-coms have sort of transitioned into more of like indie film territory. And this movie kind of feels to me like uh, pretty representative of the state of what the modern romantic comedy is. Does that uh, ring true to you as somebody who's way more, you know, (laughs) pays a lot more attention to that genre than I do? Yeah, I definitely felt that too. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So like in doing that and also in this, like, like it's sort of like indie, it's like kind of offbeat and there's this like, um, there's this age difference between them. I've seen a lot of jokes online about the like this is like the epitome of like a young man in love with an older woman movie like this is um yeah so I feel like it this feels like the example of what rom-coms are like shifting to right now excellent so Apple TV plus picked this one up like Coda like you mentioned uh Coda was their big movie last year this is definitely like one of the big breakout films of uh the 2022 festival um again I don't think it has a, a an official release date slotted in quite yet but it will be coming to Apple TV plus sometime soon and that is called cha-cha real smooth Chris let's go to your third and final choice uh it is resurrection and this stars Rebecca Hall who I think I honestly think is like one of the best actresses working right now. She's just always even no matter what the project, she's just always giving it her all and she's also really good at playing very intense uh disturbed characters and that's what she's doing here too. Um uh this is about this uh single mother, uh she's she's working a, a high profile job, her life seems 
somewhat together. And then one day she spots this guy uh, in public and the guy is played by Tim Roth and she looks uh, horrified and she keeps spotting him at random places. And at first you're sort of just like, what's going on here? And then she finally walks up and she approaches him and she says, you know, leave me alone. And we, we slowly begin to learn that these characters have a history together. And when she was, uh, still a teenager many years ago, she entered into a relationship with this guy who was who was much older than her. And we learned that it was a very domineering, very abusive relationship, abusive in pretty much every sense of the word. And uh, that's really all I'm going oh, to tell you, because this is, you know, I always feel like I, this is like a cop out saying this, but it's true. This is another one of those movies where the less you know, the more it's going to, uh, you know, uh, floor you the more it's going to knock you back in your seat but basically uh you know some really some really bad stuff went down in their past and uh she can't get anyone to help her you know she turns she keeps you know she goes to the police and they're like you know he, if he hasn't threatened you there's nothing we can do about it and uh it's it's slowly building towards a very strange surreal disturbing uh graphic ending um but uh, this this was really good. This really took me by surprise. Um, Rebecca Hall is just so damn good in this. Tim Roth is really good in this too because he plays his character in this sort of vaguely threatening way. Because even though we hear about all the terrible stuff he did, we don't actually see him do a lot of bad stuff in the movie. But he's still so menacing just by the way he carries himself and by the way that you know rebecca hall reacts to his presence so disturbing stuff but a really really uh good film that's not going to be for everyone some people are just going to downright hate this and that's okay but uh, i really dug it okay so that's called resurrection do you know when it's coming out or or if it somebody picked it up i don't think it has uh, but as i've already established on this show i don't know what the hell i'm <laughs> talking about so um <laughs> looks like IFC films. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. So yeah, IFC. Uh, it doesn't look like it has an official release date yet, but since IFC owns it, they'll they'll you know likely release it at some point before the year is up. And it also looks like if you don't want to see it in theaters, it'll be streaming on Shutter at some point because they sort of like picked it yeah, up with like a joint up, yeah. deal or whatever. So uh, okay, so that's called Resurrection. And then Brad, what is the last one you want to talk about? The last one I want to talk about is After Yang, uh, and the trailer for this movie actually just came out today. If you want to go check it out on the old slashfilm.com. Uh, and this is a movie that played uh, back at the uh, Cannes Film Festival last year, and it also played Sundance, so it wasn't necessarily premiering here. And uh, this is just um, an incredible movie uh, written and directed by uh, Kagonada. That's how you pronounce his name, correct? I think so, yeah. Uh, he directed Columbus, which was another Sundance uh, film entry not too long ago. Uh, one that I actually haven't seen yet, and now I definitely want to seek it out um, and see how that film compares to something uh, like this, because I was absolutely floored by this movie. Um, I, I knew, you know, basically the, uh, the, the most slim logline and premise of it. Uh, but I just I fell in love with it. Um, it takes place in uh, a future where the advancement of technology is not necessarily something that is uh, overwhelming in, as in like a movie like uh, Blade Runner or something like that. But it is present and a very common part of life, how advanced technology is to the point that uh, families commonly have these androids referred to as techno sapiens to help them with their everyday lives. Uh, and in this case, Colin Farrell plays the patriarch of a family who has a techno-sapien named Yang, who has acted as a big brother for their uh, adopted um, Asian daughter. And 
give her a, a better sense of her Chinese heritage and feel a sense of belonging since she's she's adopted. But Yang starts to malfunction and they don't know what's wrong with him. And so Colin Farrell takes him to try to get fixed. But uh, to make a long story short, they didn't buy him uh, firsthand from an actual uh, Android distributor. And so getting him repaired has actually proven to be a little bit difficult. But as he tries to get him fixed, he starts learning uh, something very interesting about this particular model of Android. And uh, the result is this movie that just is this beautiful rumination on life and what it means to be human and uh, finding the the most gorgeous things about the most ordinary things in our lives uh, as you start to see the world through the eyes of Yang. Um, and it really just like uh, puts the world in a kind of a new kind of perspective. And it sounds, uh, if it sounds a little bit saccharine, believe me when I say that it's not. In this movie, it feels very authentic and heartfelt. Um, and it's not necessarily uh, an overly sentimental thing that's, you know, trying to pull on your heartstrings in the most manipulative way possible. It, it really is just that uh, gorgeous of a movie and the way the story unfolds just captivated me. Uh, the performances are, are great. Everything about this movie. Uh, I absolutely loved. And uh, the good news is you'll be able to see it very soon because uh, A24 will be releasing it on March 4th. Awesome. So that is called After Yang. Definitely put that on your radar. That is like 100% one of like the big breakout movies from the festival, even though, Brad, as you mentioned, like it I technically played the festival circuit last year. So um, yeah, I'm really excited that that one is coming out so, so soon. So people will have a chance to see it. Uh, another one that is coming out uh, at some point, I think this year, is called Fire of Love. This is the third and final movie that I wanted to talk about. It is a documentary about uh, what I'm calling the world's best volcanologist power couple. So um, Maurice and Katia Kraft were this French couple who, um, through like the 1960s all the way into the early 90s, were this uh, sort of became like rock stars in the volcano community. They were scientists who studied the effects of volcanoes and lava and really like, I mean, they were like rappelling down into uh, like active volcanoes and like walking around while, you know, eruptions were taking place and they were like very much like in it and, and sort of um, sort of uh, like um, blazing a trail, like the, the new frontier of like what, uh, of how we came to understand what volcanoes were and, and their um, their impacts and, and sort of the devastation that they can cause and, and sort of rain down on different communities. Um, this movie is really, really unbelievable because a lot of it is uh, archival footage that they captured themselves. And the footage has been um, restored and it, it looks unbelievable. Like some of the stuff, because they were so uh, brave and brazen and just sort of like, fully obsessed with volcanoes and all things volcanoes. They really got into places that nobody else would, would dare to go. And they brought cameras with them and captured incredible footage of volcanoes and like them standing in front of eruptions that are just spewing, you know, bright red lava, what seems like feet away from them. And they're decked out in these incredible suits that makes it look like they're, you know, walking around on different planets. It is like unbelievable stuff. Um, I think if you have a chance to see this movie on the big screen, I don't know if uh, National Geographic who picked this up is actually going to put this movie in theaters or if they're just going to drop it onto Disney plus or something. Cause I think there's like a Nat Geo tab of Disney plus. Um, but if you can just see this movie uh, on the biggest screen possible, I would not be surprised if they tried to do like an IMAX thing for this, because it is like, it definitely is. It seems like a, a sort of a whimsical um, documentary, like, Oh, this, this couple that both love volcanoes and them, you know, bouncing around 
traveling the world and studying stuff. And Miranda July, who's like an indie darling, narrates this. And uh, when they're not wearing these, um, these like, you know, uh, astronaut looking costumes, they're dressed like a character from Wes Anderson movie. They have like red beanies on that look very much like the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou uh, costumes. I wouldn't be surprised if Anderson, um, you know, like was inspired by these actual people when he created that movie. Um, you know, it sounds like a kind of a whimsical thing, but there's like a visual majesty in this movie that is is really jaw dropping. So uh, I, I could not recommend this movie high enough. I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff. Like you'll, you'll learn a lot about, you know, volcanoes and and the different types and and all of that, but you, and and the like I said, the sort of devastation. It's not all you know, pure whimsy and and twee kind of stuff. There's some real like heartbreaking stuff in this movie. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was like incredibly well done. So Sarah Doza is the name of the the documentary and uh, the documentary and the director of this movie. Um, and a lot of the the footage is uh, archival, but there's a lot of uh, artistry in the way that it is all sort of woven together to tell this love story between this couple and also like their love affair with uh, with these volcanoes that they devoted their entire lives to studying. So Fire of Love, uh, Nat Geo has picked it up. So keep that, keep that, uh, you know, keep your eyes open for that one too. Um, all right. I think that's going to wrap it up for us. But yeah, like I mentioned, we have so many reviews that I've linked to in the show notes here. Um, I want to thank Shania for coming on for the first time. It was great to have you and we'll definitely have you on in the future. She can talk more about uh, some of the things that you uh, are particularly interested in and, and have you talk about, you know, some of the news and stuff like that, that, that it's going to be coming out. So uh, Shania, before we go, why don't you tell people where they can find more of your work online? Cause this will be your first opportunity to do that. Yeah, sure. Um, well, at slash film.com um, and um, I guess also on Twitter at uh, Seriously Shania. Excellent. All right. Uh, yeah, I've, I've linked to a ton of stuff in the, the show notes, including Shania's favorite movies of all time, the the uh, We Need to Talk About Cosby interview, and then all of our reviews. So please feel free to uh, peruse those at your own uh, discretion. Thank you all so much for listening. You can find more about all of the movies that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com, linked inside the show notes of the episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you guys tomorrow.